Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brooks. Today I'm joined by Francesco Amesbury. How are you doing, Francesco? I'm good, thanks, Sam. Nice to be here. Good to have you on, as always. And Michael Jones. How are you doing, Michael? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. It's nice to be back. Good to have you on, uh, as always. And we're going to start... Um, got so many talking points from Serie A this weekend. We're going to start with Roma, actually. They are top of the league. Uh, they play Sassuolo on Sunday night. Mourinho's thousandth game. And what a game it was, Francesco. Was it Was it the best game of the season so far for you? It, it had pretty much everything, right? Yeah, I think there's a there's a pretty good argument for that. Um, I thought that both, I you know, I think Sassuolo deserve a lot of credit because they they definitely played their part, and um, it was really an end to end game. Both teams had so many chances. Um, I think Roma probably a little bit lucky to win because Sassuolo could have scored three, four, you know, five goals even. So. But in terms of entertainment and in terms of the quality of the play, I'd say it was right up there. Yeah, and Michael, I'll come to you. Um, Roma, a little bit difficult to work out so far because the, the game, their game against Fiorentina on the opening day was quite end-to-end as well. They then sort of had a you know half-an-hour blitz against Salernitana to win that game 4-0. And then, as Francesco said perhaps slightly fortunate this weekend to come away with a win. So what, what do you make of, of how Mourinho started there? Perfect in terms of results, but um, have the performances matched those results, would you say? I think the opening two fixtures were really good for Roma in terms of, you know, the outcomes and what happened there. But I do think both of those results had to be taken with um, a pinch of salt. I think when you look at the... Fiorentina won on the first game. Both teams were reduced to 10 men and it was a bit of... It became a very open game, not typical Mourinho game. And Fiorentina kept attacking, leaving the spaces, allowing not Roma not to have to do too much breaking down. And it, it really did become a bit of a basketball game at times. I think with Salernitana, I think there was just a huge golf in quality. So this Sassuolo game was really interesting because I think it gave us by far the best indicator after the fixtures so far domestically as to where Roma are at. And I think there were some concerns. I think I think for large part, Sassuolo moved the ball around better than them. And Roma will... I, I do think this is a weaker Sassuolo team at the moment than last season. So I do think that against tougher opposition, which we're going to see in the near future with Roma. Yeah, we'll start to get a bit of a better idea, but we may look back to this Sassuolo game in the future and say, uh, the signs were here, whether there was something wrong. Yeah, Francesco, you you wanted to add something? Yeah, I I, I actually disagree a bit with Michael on this. Um, I think Roma have had a, a really great start to the season um, in, in the league, but also in Europe. So so I think it's the first time ever that Mourinho's won his first five games in charge. They've scored 14 goals. I think they've only conceded three in all those games. And I think they've had eight different goal scorers. Um, and I think a lot of the kind of enthusiasm for Roma has come from, from Mourinho himself, he's been a catalyst. Everyone seems to be getting on board with him, especially the fans. They seem to love him. I think the moment at the end when he runs down the, the line is a, is a piece of joy. Uh, I really enjoyed that. And um, I think actually that Sassuolo 
have not dropped off really as much as we possibly expected them to. Um, they lost Dezerbi, which is a, I thought it was going to be a big loss, but Dionysi's come in and he's kind of carried on what Dezerbi was doing. And they've also done a really great job of replacing Kelly, um, sorry, not Chiellini, um, Locatelli. I think that uh, this this weekend, Fratesi, who's an Italian 21 international, played kind of in his place and he had a really solid game. And they've managed to keep hold of Borga, who had a tremendous game. I think Berardi was also really good, although he didn't score. And Scamacca, this is probably the best I've, I've seen Scamacca play. I think when he came on, he he was a real presence and, you know, really unlucky to, to have his goal disallowed at the end as well, which is a fantastic finish. So I think Sassuolo are going to cause a lot of teams problems and... You know, I'm a, I'm, I'm kind of on board the the Mourinho train at the moment. I think, I think Roma look good, and the fact that they're scoring so many goals from so many different areas of the pitch and conceding so few, and the fact that the league is also so open means that I think they have a great chance of qualifying for the Champions League, which would be a fantastic result already. But they're also, I, th- I think, you know, they're not far from being in a title race. Uh, I wouldn't be too surprised if if they stick to the end. I think the main issue for them, possibly, uh, is the fact that they haven't really got, you know, they're a very young side. They haven't really got an, any kind of players who've who've actually won big things. Um, if you think about Milan, I've got Ibrahimovic, you have got Chiellini and Bonucci, and and all of Inter squad have just won the league. And, and maybe in, in the difficult moments, that experience is going to really serve those teams. Whereas the Roma don't really have any anything like that. But they do have Mourinho, and he's he's done all of that, and and I guess he's going to be, uh, you know, more and more of a talisman for them as the season goes on. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I think uh, something that was a bit of a takeaway from this weekend is it's great to see Mourinho back in Syria. He just seems to thrive in Italy. I don't I don't know why necessarily that is, but um you know from his inter days and now just the way he started at Roma it seems like he's settled right back in um and as you say that celebration at the end sort of nearly taking Tammy Abraham's head off uh, with the fans uh great great celebrations there um we're going to move on because there's just so much to get through we're going to go back to Saturday night which was uh, Napoli against Juve I think everyone was really intrigued to see how this played out Napoli start the season really well Juve haven't uh, Michael I'll come to you first on this one Juve went in at half time in front but ended up losing this one 2-1 firstly on Napoli did, does this kind of victory show that they're the real deal this season yeah I mean I know I wasn't as convinced with Roma, but I am really optimistic about Napoli's hopes for this season with Spalletti in charge. I just think when you've got, there's a blend of a perfect team for the perfect manager. I think that's what you have with Spalletti and Napoli. And they really... ...against Juventus. One thing that really concerned me about this fixture was that going into it was that I really thought Napoli should win the game and the one statistic that kind of concerned me was Spalletti's record against Juventus I think he only had like one victory or something in his maybe even ever he's got a really low number of victories against Juventus in the past and I thought when Juventus got that goal against the run of play and Napoli for all their possession were struggling to create chances a bit they did really grow into it in the second half and okay it took a couple of openings there was the shot from Insigne, which forced a Chesney save and a bit of a bizarre second goal as well. But it was certainly deserved for Napoli. And one real takeaway I took from the game was Zambo Anguisa's debut. I 
thought he was absolutely sensational. And I think if we're looking at new signings now, here we're starting to see, especially the ones that joined late on in August, he could be he could be pivotal for Napoli's hopes, not just for finishing in the top four, but even competing for the Scudetto. Yeah, I think uh, Zambo Anguissa, of course, was at Fulham last year. And, you know, he was, I think, probably the best player in that side. But, of course, they got relegated. So it's a little bit difficult to know exactly how good he is. But as you say, he looked right at home uh, on Saturday. Um, and yet, Francesco, have you already sort of seen some more resilience in this Napoli side this season than we've seen in previous seasons? You know, they they scraped a couple of wins in their opening couple of games when they weren't completely convincing and then coming from behind against a side like Juventus? Uh, yes, I think that's a very good point, Sam. Um, if you think about it as well, in, in all of their first three games, they've they've had a little bit of adversity. So they went down to 10 players against Venezia. They were able to, to, to pull a win out of that. They, um, after going ahead against Genoa, Genoa pegged them back. And this weekend, like Michael says, they were really on top of the game and then Juve scored. And in, it reminded me a bit of the game when Higuain scored um, that the year that Napoli were four points clear, and then Higuain scored after Napoli had dominated early on, and then and it was a lot like that, and and you could see how easily uh, it could have been a classic Juve performance where they kind of go there without doing too much, but they they're the ones creating the chances, and Napoli, even though they've got all that possession, they're not able to score. So I think it is really a big plus for Napoli that. They've managed to to pull out these wins, even though they're probably not playing as well as as they were last season yet. I think a lot of their big players, um, you know, we we both said that Aussie men, we expect him to have a big season. He hasn't scored yet in the league. Um, you know, Zielinski didn't even play this weekend. Insignia's had an in and out start to the season. So they've got all these players who who aren't really playing at their best yet. And I feel like there's a lot more to come from Napoli. And the fact that they've managed to pick up three wins out of three not playing so well is, is a big plus for them. And then, of course, on the flip side, Francesco, we've got Juventus, who um, have only got one point now from their first three games. I know you're a big fan of Chesney, um, and I don't want to keep you know beating the drum because I also think that Chesney's been one of the best keepers in Serie A over the last three or four years. He's had a really difficult start to the season, though. And and I, I saw this weekend, I think probably for about the first time, some people saying that he should be dropped. Would, would you drop him or, or possibly, you know, sort of take him out the firing line just for a game or two? Or do you think he has to play his way back into form? I guess it depends on how you you feel a goalkeeper is going to react to that kind of situation. Um, for me, I think taking a keeper out when he's made a couple of mistakes is probably not good for his confidence. Um, and I would just stick with him. I think he is, I, like you say, I, I think he is a good goalkeeper. Um, I think he's had a terrible start to the season. It's difficult to defend what he's done in this, these first three, first three games. And he has cost Juventus, but over his career at Juve, he's been very good for them. And I think if you take him out to play Perrin, whilst Perrin is an OK keeper, I do not think he's as good as Chesney. And I, I don't think you're really doing anything for Chesney's confidence, um, you know, going forwards by doing that. So personally, I would stick with him. I think it's probably just a, a period of bad luck slash uh, loss of form. And I think he can come back from it. Um, so, yeah, I, I would stick with him. Yeah, um... Obviously, we, we have Chesney struggling, but but of course, it's not just all his fault. Juventus just seem to be really lacking in a lot of departments at the moment. 
Michael, would you say that um, Juve have sort of lost their aura a bit this time, uh, this season, for the first time in in you know about ten years? We've seen we've got so used to them dominating, but it seems maybe that teams aren't uh, aren't as afraid of them anymore as, as they used to be. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I think I a hundred percent think teams have lost their teams don't fear them as much, and that was really displayed during the Empoli victory. What I would also say is that it's been a bit of a gradual decline maybe from Allegri's last season in his first stint. And I think what I've started to notice about Juventus as well is that whilst they've always been defined almost by the characters that they had in the likes of Buffon, Bossagli, uh, Chiellini and Benucci, for example, over the past few years, when you look at the midfield now and you've got the likes of Artur, Rabiot, Ramsey... I think it all looks a bit soft and I think teams feel optimistic that they can really outman Juventus almost when they come to play them. And I think that's certainly the fear factor as well, which is just not really there as much. But I'm sure Allegri will be convinced, even after this start, that that's something that he can restore. Yeah, well, he's he's got to restore it quickly, though, because they're already eight points uh, off the pace. And one of the sides that they are eight points behind now uh, is Milan, who played Lazio on Sunday evening. Um, I think everyone was quite intrigued to see how this one went. We've been really impressed the first couple of games with Lazio under Sarri. Um, I know, Francesco, you've had slight concerns about whether Milan could, uh, you know, continue what they did last year. But they were excellent on Sunday, weren't they? And fully deserving of their win. Yeah, I mean, I've been bigging up Lazio in a big way in this in the early part of the season. And I've probably been, I think, out of, out of us, um, the one who's doubted Milan the most. And I have to say that they have been, especially this weekend, but for the first three games, they have been really impressive. And I am ch- changing my mind a bit on them. I think uh, arguably they've had the toughest si- uh, start to the season out of the bigger sides. And on on... This weekend, it, it seemed like the result was never in doubt. They seemed completely settled. Um, the fact that they were missing some pretty high-profile players, no Giroud, no Ibrahimovic to, to start with, didn't seem to phase them at all. Um, I think they've, uh, you know, uh, earlier on in uh, in the season, I said that they, uh, I didn't know if the transfer market had really supported purely as much as it should have. But with that as well, I feel like they have actually added some depth. Um, it feels like he's got options. The fact that they they didn't start with, uh, Ibrahimovic or Benasser or, or Giroud and they were still very much on top of, of, of a good Lazio side shows that Milan have got quite a bit to offer and um, you know you, you the, the other player I'd like to mention you, you asked as last week Sam if we thought Tornali you know he's had a good start to the season if he was going to kind of get into this Milan side and I said I was, I was pretty sceptical but again this weekend he was probably their best player and I think that is really great news for him and uh, for Milan and for Italy um, and I you know again with that I probably am changing my mind if, if he plays this well I see him becoming a fixture in this side and yeah things are looking really good for Milan uh, they've had a great start to the season. I think um, in terms of Milan like from afar, it's quite easy to... I, I agree with Francesco, and I think from afar, it's quite easy to laugh at their, maybe, or scoff at their transfer policy because all you see on the face of it is maybe Giroud and Ibrahimovic and you're looking at two strikers. Still effective, of course, but I think beneath that, there's been some really, really smart recruitment this summer. 
if you think of like securing the likes of Tonali permanently, Brahim Diaz, who's been sensational so far this season. And one player who's really impressed me, and I was really happy that he actually got a goal, was Rafa Leal, because he, he could have been on about three or four goals by now this season. And he was given a bit more of a central role in the game against Lazio, and he really seemed to thrive off it. I really wonder if this is the season where we do see Rafa Leal finally start to convert those chances into goals. And that could be key for AC Milan sort of surpassing what they did last Yeah, I, I agree with you with Rafa Leal. I, I've always been quite a big fan of his, but I know that he's sort of divided opinion because he can be a bit wasteful with his finishing. And of course, with Tonali, he's not going to have many bigger tests in terms of coming up against an opposition midfield with Lazio having Milinkovic Savic and Luis Alberto, of course. So he, he came through that with flying colours. Um, for Lazio, it was their first setback of the season. Um, uh, Sari's also picked up a two-game ban, I've seen today, two-game touchline ban for his uh, sort of fracas with um, uh, Silomakers. Um Obviously, they've switched formation to a back four. Lazio have been playing a back three the last sort of five years under Inzaghi. And you often wonder how some players will settle into that. One player who seems to have struggled a little bit is Acerbi. Um, you know, he's into his mid-30s now. Is this something you think he can overcome, Francesco? Or do you feel that, you know, maybe he is much better suited to a back three? Firstly, just quickly on Sarri, I think it is great that he is stepping onto football pitches and confronting opposition players. And I think, you know, we need to see more of that because it is so good when it happens. Um, and also, you know, we, we forgot to mention how um, Allegri and Spalletti had a bit of an argument at the end of the Napoli game. Again, it's the content we're here for. So more of that, please. With Acerbi, I think that um, he's probably having a similar thing to, to what Skriniar had last season. Um, I think for uh, for a little bit when they changed uh, formation, Skriniar struggled into, but um, but it was uh, not last season, sorry, the season before. But it was it was ne- you know I I never doubted that he is an excellent defender. I feel the same way about Acerbi. I still think he's probably Lazio's best defender. I think he can play in a four. I think he's shown it with the national team. He had an excellent game against um, Lewandowski uh, when Italy played Poland, playing in a four with with. Um, uh, it was the uh, who played in that four then? Maybe Bastoni um, or Bonucci was, it was it? Bastoni, yeah, playing Bastoni, with Bastoni, yeah. and, that, and they played as a, as a central two, and they did a great job against Lewandowski in that game. So I have no doubt that Acerbi can do a good job there. I feel like Lazio defensively are possibly going to be a bit vulnerable this season just because of the way that that Sarri plays. Uh, but I think Acerbi is is probably going to be fine as the season goes on. I think he's going to get used to playing in a four and. Um, I don't really see it see it being a problem for Lazio. Yeah, ju- just picking up on your point about the managers, I think we mentioned at the start of the season how there's a lot of you know really high-profile managers in Syria now. And uh, yeah, I-, I think Spalletti came out of a quote going like, um, "This is only like the second time I've ever beaten Allegri, and now he starts piping up. So can't he just like give me this win or something?" I thought that was quite yeah, funny. I mean, if- it's, uh, it's such a nice uh, if you haven't because you can see how annoyed Spalletti is and he is he's a you know he's a real character even if you don't understand Italian you should look up the clip because it's it's great yeah I think there's a few expletives thrown in there as well <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's just a piece of uh, yeah piece of joy yeah well uh, yeah for, for us we we hope we get a bit more of that because that just adds a little something doesn't it um going to move on to one of Spalletti's former clubs of course we're going to go to Inter who um. 
who dropped their first points of the season. They were held by Sampdoria, two all. Really good game, this, and some really good goals. I thought the DeMarco free kick, um, you know, you're not saving that, are you? That was a belter. Um, what, what did you make of the two sides in this game? We also saw Sampdoria give Milan a really good game in, on the opening day as well, Michael. So are you quite encouraged by Mil- uh, by Sampdoria, sorry? And, and what do you think of Inter so far as well? Um, I, I think starting on Sampdoria, I did. I actually did my preview for them for Get Italian Football News this season. And I, I think they're, they're quite unlucky, really, not to have a win on the board. But again, there's no real shame in that at the same time, given the opposition they've had. They've had Milan, Sassuolo and Inter Milan. And especially in the latter two, they've up. And I think they were quite unlucky against Milan not to score more. I mean... Caputo coming in is a great signing, I think. There are maybe questions stylistically whether he'll be able to, he might have to create a few more chances for himself in this system than he did at Sassuolo, but uh, he didn't look too sharp in the game against Inter Milan. I think he had some chances that he maybe could have done a bit better. I seem to remember one where he, he scored horribly scuffed wrong. But I think when you look at the team and some of the business they did towards deadline day, there's some really encouraging signs there. And you've got Kondreva and Damsgaard either side of an exciting but aging front two in Caputo and Quagliarella. Uh, it, I, I, do, I do think they can be quite effective this season. And I think they'll certainly push for the top half of the table. On into Milan, I, I did kind of see this result coming. I thought there was a lot of plaudits for them in the opening two games. And I thought whilst they were explosive at times in both of those games, they did also have the tendency to drop for periods. And I thought those periods where they did drop off were longer in the game against Sampdoria. And I thought the, the periods when they were explosive were shorter. And I think that resulted in them dropping the points in that game. I do think Latora Martinez looks like he's maybe relishing this main role with Lukaku gone, even though Jekka is there. It does seem that he's maybe the most valuable striker in that team now. And I'm really hoping that soon we can see a bit more game time with him in Korea because I think that could be a fascinating partnership. Yeah, I think we we previously spoken with Inter about how they did lose some players this summer. Um, their their team still looks pretty strong, but maybe doesn't have the depth that it had last year. Um, we saw this weekend injuries with Sensi and Bastoni didn't even play the game, of course. Um, Francesco, are you slightly concerned that you know, when when you do take the best players out, the dropping quality is quite significant, particularly with that back three. If one of them misses out, you're then looking at the likes of, uh, you know, maybe DeMarco can drop into a back three or uh, D'Ambrosio, Ranocchia. It's quite a drop-off, isn't it? I agree with that, that um, that is probably the area where you are losing quite a lot if, if Scrinia or Bastoni or, or De Bruyne gets injured. But... That has been the case for the for the past two years. Um, yeah. You know, Ranocchia and the players you've just mentioned, D'Ambrosio, they they've been the guys that have been stepping into to those roles when when the the starting front three haven't played. Um, I guess last season it wasn't as much of an in, of an issue because Inter went out of Europe quite early and then playing once a week. Bastoni, Skinia, and De Bruyne just never got injured, um, and you know they built a lot of their success on on that back three last season. For the rest of the squad, though, I don't think depth really is an issue. I think, at least numerically, they have brought in like-for-like replacements for the players they've lost. So they've lost Lukaku, Eriksson and Hakimi, but 
Zeko and Chanaloglu and Dumfries have come in. I think they're, they're pretty good replacements. They're probably not quite as good as uh, as the first three that I mentioned there, but but they're still very good footballers. And other players who've come in, you've mentioned Di Marco. I think that's a really smart uh, of them to to uh, to keep him. Uh, you know, having been on loan at Verona, he's already made a, an important contribution this weekend. And um, I agree with Michael that Correa, I think, is a really interesting signing. I think he gives them something that they didn't have last season. Um, and so for, for Inzaghi and for Inter, I think the, the real challenge is going to be to see if they can make up, you know, the, the gap, I, I guess, technically and physically they've lost by losing, especially Hakimi and Lukaku with these other players who probably aren't quite as good. And it's whether Inzaghi, with the way that he gets the scene to play, can, can make a difference. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I still think Inter are, are really, uh, you know, definitely in the race for the title. I expect them to, to have a good season. I'm not that worried about this result this weekend. I think, especially in the first half, they look pretty good. And um, I think probably the, the Champions League fixture coming up had a little bit of an impact on, on what they did this weekend. Um, and they became a bit messy in the second half. I'd, I'd agree with that, that once they were kind of chasing that third goal, they, they lost, uh, they lost a bit kind of in their setup and the way they were, they were working tactically, but, um, but I think they still look pretty good and I expect them to be in the title race until the end of the season. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see how this title race shapes up because, uh, you know, there's a few teams started really well and then a couple of teams who we'd expect to probably be in that race who, who haven't. And one of those teams is Atalanta who, um, who, who suffered their first defeat this weekend. You know, um, they started the season with an unconvincing win against Torino, then held by uh, Bologna. And, and then here they were beaten by Fiorentina. Um, three penalties in this game, all three of them converted. Michael, what did you what did you make of those decisions? Did you think they were all correct or a couple a bit, you know, dodgy? What, what were your thoughts? I thought that, I thought that the Fiorentina penalties were definitely penalties and the Bonaventura one, I don't think the angle maybe made it too clear for us. It was a bit hard to see because I think the move that Bonaventura made into the box at the time was so quick that, and he sort of ran straight from the edge of the box towards the defender, which you don't always try and see too much. Normally in that position, you see players try to, sort of build up and create the spaces and then with the handball I thought it was a a definite handball I thought Mailer did intentionally stick his hand out intentionally it's a harsh word maybe because it came at him so quickly maybe it was more instinctively but there was certainly a raise of the hand and that was maybe one concern that I thought Mailer had uh, I had with the game was that Mailer maybe he's been a bit tired from the international break because I know he was heavily involved with Denmark over the international break as well and I thought that he was key. I mean, he made the mistake, which led to the penalty, the second penalty for Fiorentina as well. So maybe, hopefully, he'll be rested this week, which was the Atalanta penalty again, just before. Uh, it was when uh, Gossens, uh, Gossens got taken out by uh, Callahan, I think it was. I think that, that that was a penalty. I think Gossens was sort of on the stretch, but uh, Callahan went through the back of his foot. Um, what, yeah. what one are you doubtful about then, Sam? Well, I I heard there was a bit of conjecture about the Marlahan ball. That's what I saw on Twitter. That one was the most debatable one. 
No, I, I thought I'm that was Michael. I'm with Michael on that one. I think. I well, think I'm. That... You know, I'm. I'm just here to stir the pot, aren't I? So I was. <laughs> I was hoping that you go. Oh, they were diabolical decisions. I think the it... most. Di- the most doubtful one is the one that you you've just said is uh was a definite penalty um yeah i guess so, in the end it, once once var gets involved and you see yeah. that the contact with the ball is is with gosen's first and then he touches him then you have to yeah. give a penalty but i think the other two are definite penalties and that one is probably softer but still a penalty well that one wasn't originally given was it and then the ball went out of play and they went and had a look at it. And on the replay, it did look like Gerson's just got there and then had his foot kicked. But um, but there we go. Um, but yeah, we, we've talked about Fiorentina and, um, you know, we, we've been hoping that they do a bit better this season, haven't we? They've been pretty poor the last two or three years. Um, and they have certainly started a lot better, Francesco. Do you feel that's purely down to the manager or, or are there other factors at play here? I don't know if it's purely down to Italiano, but I do think he deserves a lot of credit. Um, I think at the last, ses- sorry, at the end of last season, uh, I said that the Fiorentina had been the most disappointing team in the whole league because they had had the biggest discrepancy between the quality of their players and where they'd actually finished. Um, I think the squad was already good last season, but it hasn't, and it has changed a little bit, but not that much. So I feel like you do have to give Italiano a lot of credit. He's got them playing quite well, you know, in terms of the the style of play, but also he's given them a bit of steel. I think um, it's difficult to go to Atalanta and get a, get a result. And one of the things that was noticeable, I think, about this game that you don't often see in Atalanta games is they weren't that dominant. Um, you know, in terms of possession, it was pretty even, but also in terms of the chances they created. If you think that last week uh, in the draw against Bologna, they, I think they had 20 plus shots on goal. I think this weekend they only had about six and I can only really remember one clear chance that they created. And I think Italiano and Fiorentina deserve a lot of credit for that because it's not easy to do that in Bergamo. Yeah, I, I really agree with your analysis there. And one thing that was quite striking for me is when we look at the players maybe was that Gonzalez was left out of that starting lineup in the victory against Fiorentina and I agree in terms of the quality of players that they've got but I think he's such a key addition this summer and for them to still be dominant with Sotil on the left wing who you could tell it was based on the system as well that he really had that creativity and I do think the one thing I would take away from Italiano which is also a compliment at the same time it's a bit paradoxical it's that he I, I just think Fiorentina have been crying out for an attacking manager for so long and they've just not had one. And I just think that when I saw Gattuso was about to be, well, was appointed earlier in the summer, I was quite fearful about that. When Italiano came in, I was, I thought Gattuso would, you know, solidify them and make them better, but not as exciting as Italiano could. And could be a really nice relationship we see blossom between them here uh, going ahead this season. I'm really excited for it. And then with regards to Atalanta, we're sort of used to this. They do often start seasons a bit slowly. Um, they haven't been able to get Muriel and Zapata on the pitch together yet, really, have they? Um, which was such a great partnership towards the back end of last season. Are, are there reasons to be a bit more concerned, you know, than previous seasons, given, you know, they don't have Papu Gomez anymore? That, of, of course, that's been the case the last seven or eight months now. But is this just typical Atalanta or is it something a bit more this time, Francesco? 
It's it's not really clear yet. I don't think. Um, I'm not that worried. It's not the first time we've had them. We've seen them have a slow start and then go on to do to have a great season. So that could definitely happen again. Um, I think possibly some of the new guys haven't completely, uh, you know, settled. Um, Demaral, for example, I know he didn't play this weekend, but he's maybe not not had this kind of. Um, understandably, he's not ha- yet had the contribution that Romero was giving last season. Um, but also, I think that this weekend, um, the fixture, the midweek fixture against Villarreal was was probably playing on Gasperini's mind. Um, I think that is a huge game for them, and we're going to come to that, I think. But um, the fact that he rested a few key players like Gozins, for example, who didn't start, um, probably didn't help. Um, we'll see over the next few weeks. I think uh, uh, the, the fact that they didn't create as many chances and didn't seem to have that normal flowing style this weekend... Is probably the biggest concern for me. The, um, we're so used to Atalanta, even when they don't win, we're so used to seeing them create chance after chance after chance, and that just wasn't the case this weekend. And it's probably um, you know a lot to do with how Fiorentina played. I think they did play well, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, just one thing I wanted to mention finally. We, we uh, I've seen that there were allegations of racism in that game again uh, from fans towards Vlahovic, and of course in the Milan game we also saw uh, allegations of racism from the Lazio fans towards Bakayoko. So uh, hopefully those will be looked into uh, by the by the Italian FA. They've of course already handed Sari his punishment, so let's hope they look into those uh, situations quickly. Um, we're now going to move on to, there's been a couple of managerial sackings already. I can't quite believe it. Um, we're very, very bizarre with three games in, but there we go. Um, we're going to first go with Verona and Eusebio Di Francesco has been relieved of his duties um, after three matches. Verona have lost all three and I know you had concerns, Francesco. I'll come to you first, Michael. Are you surprised by this? Do you feel it's a bit harsh on Di Francesco? Yeah, I'm. I'm not surprised it did. It has. It hasn't worked out. I'm surprised by the timing and the manner in which it's done it. I mean, it's an absolute shambles. There's no getting away from it. Three games in, a part of me feels sorry for Di Francesco giving so little time. And I thought against Inter Milan they were actually half decent, but there must have been something really alarming to have gone on behind. Not just you know, in whether it was in training or something that the people at the top of the club saw which concerned them because I just don't understand how a manager has gone through all the interview tests looking at his previous two failed spells which are only 33 games collectively at Sampdoria and Cagliari and they thought this is going to be a good fit and yeah I just think it's a shambles and I don't think it's all should be on Di Francesco I think a lot of a lot of questions need to be asked to the board but they really prepared for Jorich's departure because it doesn't seem like they were yeah, of course, we've seen, uh, you know, Verona really sort of overperform the last couple of years under Jurich. Um, so it was always going to be a tough task for Di Francesco. Um, I'm trying to think, Francesco, has there been a more sort of rapid decline in terms of a manager's career than Di Francesco in these last few years? Which three years ago, he was a Champions League semi-finalist with Roma. And it's just gone to pop the, at his last three clubs, hasn't it? Yeah, I I can't think of one. And I also can't really think of a team that would be that willing to give him another chance um, right now. Um, 
I'm, I agree with Michael on this. I think the timing is, uh, is a little bit surprising, but the fact that he has gone is, it felt almost inevitable. And I guess in, in Verona's defences, they wanted to avoid what happened to Cagliari last season. Cagliari, another team who definitely underperformed um, last season, considering the, the quality of players they had. And I think a lot of that was to do with the way Di Francesco was managing them. And they really went close to going down. So I guess Fed one I just decided we don't want to we don't want to keep hanging on with this guy we're going to we're going to change things early. Yeah, the only comparison I can think of in terms of a manager's decline might be Owen Coyle who kind of went from being linked to Liverpool during his spell at Bolton 10 years ago and then before you knew it was managing in the lower reaches in England and Scotland. So hopefully De Francesco's future fares a little bit better than that. I think Owen Coyle will take that, to be honest. He didn't get to a Champions League semi-final, did he? I can't... Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah Owen Coyle, that, that's that's a blast from the past, really. But, um, of course, Verona did lose their last game, but only 1-0 against Bologna. So, not exactly a catastrophic result. So, as you say, it seems something surely must have gone on behind the scenes for, for Di Francesco to lose his job so quickly this time. And of course, the, the other managerial sacking that we've seen uh, was Leonardo Semplici at, um, at Cagliari. Uh, of course, he's been there longer. He was there second half of last season, managed to keep them up. Um, is this a more understandable sacking for you, Francesco, or do you feel that he's been a bit harshly treated as well? I think that uh, this is... I don't really... Uh, agree with this one as much as with the Di Francesco one. I think Semplici did a really good job with Cagliari last year. At one point, they looked like they were down, and you know they, he 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 definitely saved them. Um, and I definitely think he deserved more time at the beginning of this season. They haven't had a great start to the season, but it's still very early days. And this weekend as well, the game against Genoa, it felt like one of those matches where they actually played pretty well and it's just one of those games that gets turned around um there's not really too much logic to it so being fired after that kind of match i think is a bit unlucky and as i said i think last season he did a great job keeping them up so i think he's he is more unlucky and i would have definitely given him a bit more time yeah of course it it, it seemed at one point like they were going to cruise to victory they were two nil up against genoa and and genoa came back and won three two which just sort of shows the fine margins in football because if they if they had won that game that you know there's there's no way he goes uh goes this week but but that has happened it looks like it's going to be walter mazzari who takes over what what do you think of that appointment michael yeah i'm i'm quite encouraged by that appointment i I remember watching to play under Matsari in the Europa League at Molyneux a few years ago, and I was quite impressed with the way they set up then, even though they didn't get through. And I do think this squad, with them playing free at the back as well, could be quite well set up for him. We know he does like to play that system from his time at Torino, and I think play it a little bit during his time at Napoli as well. And they do have some really good players. I mean, he, I'm sure he'll be any new manager will be relishing the prospect of working with Jao Pedro and Keita Balde up front. I mean, that could be a potentially lethal partnership if you can get them going. And again, like Francesco said, the, the decision seems a bit sudden. And on the plus side, it's, it, you're not having to revamp the entire squad after the transfer market's done or anything like that. that 
in terms of changing the selection and stuff. I think Matsari will be able to settle in quite smoothly. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. How, how about you, Francesco? How do you see this uh, potential appointment? I I don't like it at all. I, I think Mazzari is one of the most overrated managers in <laughs> in the history of Serie A. I think he... Uh, I basically think he got lucky when Labetti and Cavani and Hamsik all rocked up at Napoli and made him look good. And he's been living off that for the rest of his career. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I might be wrong. Um, I guess, yeah, he can play three at the back with, with Cagliari and that might help. But... I uh, I would have kept Semplici all day. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it works out. Um, that that's what it sounds like. We're recording this on Tuesday night for everyone listening, so it may well be confirmed by the time this goes out. But uh, at the moment, that's what it's looking like in terms of uh, replacing Semplici. Um, a manager we've already mentioned, Michael. Uh, Jurich, he's he's now at Torino, of course, and they started with a couple of defeats, but I think we were quite encouraged by how they played. This weekend, they beat Salernitana 4-0, so do you feel like he's already starting to stamp his authority on that Torino side after a couple of disappointing seasons for the club? Yeah, definitely, and, you know, Torino have both your sides have really struggled in front of goal in the last few years, so to get four goals, albeit against Natana with four goals without Belotti during the game, which I checked was the first time since the end of the 20, 2015 season that they scored four goals in the league without Belotti. And is a real indication of the players growing in confidence under him. And I do think he will be the man to get Torino back on track. I'm really excited about this appointment. And yeah, I think... Now we're hopefully going to start seeing the results to follow all the promise that they'd shown in the opening two games. And then from a Salonatana perspective, Francesco, we've seen in the last sort of couple of years how these teams that come up and just ship so many goals, you know, with Lecce and Crotone, it doesn't tend to end well for them. They've conceded four in successive games now. So are you are you fearing the worst for them? Yeah, I think. I mean, I'm right now. I'm worried that they're going to break the record for most games in which they concede four goals in. I think I said <laughs> last week that that they um, that uh, who did they play last week? Remind me, Sam. They played a uh, Roma, of course. Just yeah, the I said that Roma break, were going to be yeah. the only team that scored four goals against them, but I didn't think that every team would score four goals against them. And um, <laughs> you know, I don't, also I don't think Ribéry is going to really help with that part of their game. So. I mean, I think it could be fun at Salernitana this year, and I think Salerno is an amazing place. Um, but uh, I, yes, I'm very worried about them. And Simi must be wondering what's going on because he, he the defence that he was playing in front of last year was was awful. He scored twenty goals and still got relegated. I think he, he might do a similar thing this year. So uh, we'll see how that works out. But poor Simi, I think. Um, and then we also had Venezia picking up their first win. I think we thought they looked pretty poor the first couple of games, Michael, but they got a win against Empoli, who, of course, beat Juve a couple of weeks ago. It's all, you know, just because A beats B doesn't mean A beats C sort of thing. I don't know, that sort of thing, isn't it? But there was an individual goal in this that was excellent as well, running from the own half. A bit more positive for Venezia now or, or still a little bit concerned? I'd still be concerned a little bit, given the 
position. But I mean, I'm still generally quite concerned about them, but it is certainly positive for them to take after the international break. I, I fought after Empoli's amazing victory against Juventus, and I looked quite in depth at some of the statistics against Juventus, and they had some fascinating stuff there. But it seemed that they were more comfortable, and maybe it's it shows with the recruitment they've had. They've they're, they're more comfortable than Empoli in terms of their attacking ideas and going forwards. And I do think that I still think it's going to be a massive struggle for them. I think it's such a difficult. I think Serie A is one of the toughest leagues for re, uh, promoted teams, but the recruitment certainly eye-catching. You know, some really under the radar young players that they've got in from all different backgrounds. And it is a question of how quickly they can gel, but results like this against Empoli will really help that. And then final game that we need to touch upon, uh, Spezia Udinese. Udinese picking up a 1-0 win here and and they've actually had a really positive start to the season. Have you been quite surprised by how well they have done, Francesco, um, particularly given that they lost, you know, probably their two best players in the summer? Um you know, they're a bit fortunate in this game, I think. Spezia had some good chances, but but another positive result, right? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the results, having seven points after three games, I, I didn't expect it, and it's very good going for them. I think uh, it's tempered by the fact that they've played Venezia and Spezia, who I think are two of the weakest teams in the league. But you still have to have to get those wins. And, you know, they picked up points against Juve. So, um, you know, I don't really think... Uh, I'm not that excited about Udinese this year. I don't think they're going to... They're probably going to stay up. But I, I'd be surprised if they finish in the top half of the table. But they have had a, a great start. Yeah, of course they have. A, yeah, seven points. Can't really complain about that. Um, so we're done with the Serie A games from the weekend. And now we're just going to briefly touch on the... European games coming up um, and of course the Champions League and Europa League return this week uh, as I said earlier we're recording this Tuesday night so I'm going to get the guys to sort of offer their predictions here if they get them wrong but it looks like they're mad because this comes out after the Tuesday results I, I can assure you they're not mad um, Tuesday night we have Juventus travelling to Malmo um, you know under normal circumstances Michael we'd expect Juve to win this are you sensing maybe an upset of some sorts here or do you expect Juve to still have enough to come through this one? I, I think it might be a bit of a welcome break for Juventus, the Champions League this season. We can kind of... When Pir- a lot different, I think, for Pir- necessarily win Juventus the title but Juventus have won the title so many times and when there was that drop off there was loads of pressure and out outrage but then they did navigate that Champions League group quite nice and maybe they'll be able to do something that be being optimistic the, the pessimistic side to me is thinking they have showed next to zero signs of them producing a performance like that and I watched Malmo and Rangers in the qualifying, in the play, was it the playoff or was it the third round? I think it was the third round of the Champions League qualifiers this season. Absolutely, credit to them. I think they could. 
I don't know. I don't think they'd be contenders to qualify from the group, but I wouldn't rule out given where Juventus are at the moment, a shock result here, but probably most likely a draw. I'm not going to be bold. They'll win this. Yeah, oh, interesting. So, yeah, as you say, most people would think Juve will win this, but but they're really not in good form at the moment. And then you touched on it earlier, Francesco, really big game um, for Atalanta. They're coming up against Villarreal. Um, and we've sort of touched on it before, how this is a similar group to last season for them, really, where they're playing a Premier League club who will be expected to win the group, and that that's Man United. Um and then you have Villarreal, who I guess are sort of similar to Ajax. Maybe Ajax a touch better. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a group where you think they're maybe battling for second place. So this could be a crucial game for them, right? Yeah, I think what you're saying, Sam, is, is absolutely right. Um, I expect Atalanta and Villarreal to, to fight out for second. Um, and so this is a, a big game for them. I'm... I'm quite confident that Atalanta can do it um, and and actually get out of the group. Um, they probably have to beat young boys twice, I think, to do that and then hope that they, they get the better of Villarreal um, and then anything they pick up against United would be a bonus. But um, yeah, I mean, based on the, the past two or three seasons, uh, they, they do well in Europe. So I, I yeah, I'm going to say I think Atalanta will get out of this group. And not to pour any cold water on Tuesday's fixtures, but Wednesday is when it gets really tasty, I think. We've got uh, Milan travelling to Liverpool. Um, huge game, this. Of course, they had a couple of really famous fixtures in the, in the mid-2000s um, with mixed results for both teams. How do you see this going, Michael? Because both teams have started the season really strongly, haven't they? Yeah, I think on that note, it just makes for a sensational matchup. It's actually the game even if you look at in, who Inter, Inter Milan, you know, that will come on to their opposition. So I won't say that just yet, but AC Milan, Liverpool is a sublime game because I think AC Milan, have, we, we, we've praised them a lot. We've said about the recruitment being good, that they've looked really energetic. They look really, them, themselves and Liverpool look quite similar, I think, in terms of the way they play. And I think that's what makes it quite exciting. Okay, there's different characteristics when you look at their attackers, in terms of the system, I wouldn't say it's all too different. And yeah, I, I can't wait. I mean, what, what makes this game even better is that the game's actually huge in the context of the group as well. They've got Atletico Madrid and Porto. I'd probably make Atletico the favourites just about given their credentials of getting through the groups, but also winning La Liga last season and the summer they've had compared to Liverpool's. And then Porto, of course, knocked out Juventus last season. So it's all set up phenomenally for, 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 this, for this group. And uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> be too detailed or, uh, you know, too wordy, I guess, with my description of it, other than being excited. I'm just really excited for this encounter and I don't have a clue what's going to happen. Yeah, I think this is probably the pick of the groups in terms of strength for depth. And, you know, there's going to be no easy fixtures for, for any size without being too cliched about it. Um and then, of course, you touched on it. Inter have got themselves an interesting game against Real Madrid. Um, they've been poor in Europe the last couple of years, Inter. Can they turn it around this year, do you think, Francesco? Yes, I think they have um, a slightly easier group than last season. It's still tricky, but I think it is slightly easier. This first fixture is going to be tough, but um, I don't think... 
Real are unbeatable. Um, I think they've scored a lot of goals at the start of the season, but they have also conceded quite a few. And, you know, even though Inter drew this weekend, I think they've had a pretty solid start to the season, probably better than, than we expected. Um, they rested a few players over the weekend, so I expect them to be to be ready to go. And I think they have a chance uh, tomorrow. And um, I think it is a group that they should be getting out of. Although, you know, we've, we've said that last year, maybe even the year before. So hopefully this is this is the year for, for Inter to get into the knockout stages. And yeah, tomorrow I think they, they have a chance, but it's going to be tough. Important first fixtures, no no doubt, for, for the Italian sides. Um, and then on to Thursday, the Europa League kicks off and some, you know, really interesting clashes here as well with Napoli. They're travelling to Leicester, who've had quite a mixed start to the season. But, you know, we, we know all about Leicester and what they've achieved over the last sort of five or six years. So how do you see this one playing out, Michael? Similar to the Liverpool-AC Milan game, I think this is a beautiful blend of styles when you think of Spalletti's Napoli and Rodgers' Leicester. I think it could be a really open game. The only reason it might not be is that it may be in Napoli's interest to just get a point and avoid the heat here. Now, that's not saying Napoli are to be negative, just that they're the away side in what I think should be quite a close encounter. And I do think whoever doesn't come out on top between Leicester and Napoli could find themselves in a bit of a pickle navigating their way through this group because the other two teams are Legia Warsaw and Spartak Moscow who have both picked up some pretty good results here and there in the Champions League in the past few years and what Napoli really won't want to do is to kind of not take not not get much from those two Leicester games and suddenly find themselves under pressure against these two teams because they'll really fancy themselves against whoever doesn't come out on top in that fixture. But in terms of how I see it going, I think I'm going to go for a draw. I think Leicester with the home advantage and not having to travel, but without the quality that Napoli have, I think it probably just works out as a 1-1 one, one or something. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the other... Syria side is, is of course Lazio and, and they've got a, an intriguing clash as well away at Galatasaray um, what, what do you think for Lazio you know they've been in this competition quite a few times over the years Francesco sort of made last 16 quarterfinals once I think about four years ago if I'm correct um, is this a is this a competition that Sari can really target of course he won it a couple of years ago with Chelsea I think for both of the Italian sides that are in this competition, what I really want is just to, them to, to really go for it, to take it seriously and to really try and, and win games. I think Michael's right that, that neither group is easy. They're tricky groups, I think, especially Lazio's. But having said that, I think if Lazio play their best, they have the beating of all the other three sides in their group. Um, tomorrow is a difficult start. It's not easy to play in Turkey. Galatasaray is a solid side. Um so it's going to be interesting. But if Sarri gets the team playing and they really go for it, I don't see why Lazio can't win there and get out of this group and have a deep run in this competition. And the same goes for Napoli. I think especially Napoli, there's no reason to think that they can't go on and win this competition. The only thing about that is I feel like I say that every single season. Every season they're in the Europa League. I feel like Napoli are, are on paper one of the best sides in it. And it feels like they just... They don't really take it seriously enough. They get to a stage where, I don't know, they just get upset by some team because they haven't really, you know, 
done things properly that's what it feels like um and you know that is one of the issues with the Europa League that some teams just don't don't take it seriously enough and it's a shame because I think it's a it's a great competition especially when you get into the last stages and the reward is big as well because not only do you get into the Champions League but you get seeded first and that makes a big difference to the group you'll get in the next season so it's definitely what and, and just the glory of winning the the UEFA Cup come on it's a good competition so yeah, for me, that I just hope that they both take it seriously. Napoli and Lazio are really exciting sides this year. They've got two great and angry managers, and I really hope we see them being angry and good in Europe. Yeah, that would be good to see. Um, and of course, we're going to finally touch on the Europa Conference League, which gets underway. I think there's a few people who are a bit unsure about this competition, but based on the qualifying round, it looks like Mourinho's taking this quite seriously. Roma kick off at home to CSKA Sofia. Um, do you expect Mourinho to continue, you know, putting out a pretty strong team? And, and is this a competition that Roma will target, do you think, Michael? Yeah, I, I think they'll go. I don't think they'll go for leather but I think they'll go quite strong mm-hmm. I think it's not I think part of the reason for that is that CSK Sofia is no near fixture as on sports in the qualifying in the in the playoff round but uh, Roman need the trophy they've not won a trophy for over 10 years now and that's something and Mourinho will see this as a great opportunity and I think to the conference league but I think we'll see this competition develop a bit next year and hopefully Roma will be in a strong place with Mourinho to really... We haven't seen an Italian side, you know, really flourishing in Europe for a while now, so it would be good to see to see some sides come through this year. Um, but that concludes the episode, and thank you very much for joining me, guys. Um, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Hope you enjoy the, the opening round of European fixtures, and we'll catch you again next week to round up another week of Serie A action. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.